Hi IT folks, hold on before you listen to this episode of the IT Standup, a series of the B2B e-commerce talk. I'm very excited to announce we changed the name of the podcast to B2B e-commerce integrated. Don't get confused if you still hear the old name, because this is an old episode that we recorded before we changed the name. So if you're interested in the new content, subscribe now to the B2B e-commerce integrated podcast channel. Don't forget to leave a review or rating and enjoy the episode. We did a rollout in seven countries. So each rollout, we were improving our game, you know, how to approach it. So we developed like these run books, we developed our templates, and also we developed our process around it. Hello and welcome to the IT Standard Podcast. If you do not know me, my name is Arno and I'm the Chief Product Officer at a company called SanaCommerce. With SanaCommerce, we believe that by using ERP integration, B2B companies are more successful than B2B companies that are using mainstream e-commerce solutions. You do not have to replicate the data and logic around complex pricing, stock or order and quotes in multiple systems. And there's no need to maintain that data and logic in various systems and more importantly, less prone to error by making ERP and e-commerce work as one. This results in better relationships with your B2B buyers and more commercial success. Today I'm interviewing Jauke de Vries, freelance product owner and information analyst having many years of experience in B2B and B2C commerce. Jauke, welcome. Yes, thanks Anna, thanks for having me. Right, so yeah, I want to start today with a stand-up. That's the way we are doing that at Sana Commerce every day. So what is your priority of today? Yeah, well, today is an interesting day. Yesterday, we uh, I'm, I'm in an assignment currently at a company called Casing Media Group. And yesterday, we relaunched the Denny's webshop. So uh, today is focused on aftercare of that. See if everything goes smooth, if all operations goes well. So that will uh, be my priority. And the second one is uh, prepare for my vacation, which starts this weekend. So that's... Yeah, that is always a priority, right? Nice to look forward to. So any hurdles or obstacles along the way yeah always of course nothing goes smooth as good as you plan it always you will find uh, surprises along the way so our take on that is to be prepared for that and be flexible yeah no big things but always a lot of smaller things we have to address during the days that's why it's your priority today to smoothen these things right relaunching a web store is always yeah it's always something interesting so any kpis you're following for the company you're currently working on we're taking a look at yeah sure well i think one important one especially about the project i just mentioned is we do well we are in the business of selling puzzle magazines physically via online channels and well we do that like with uh, just single copy sales so just single magazines but also we do subscription selling and well that's our priority at the moment so a very important kpi is the amount of subscriptions we are selling okay yeah, so commercial KPI to see hey, if, how many of these subscriptions are you uh, bringing in, in uh, on a day. All right. So any good news to share yesterday or last week? Some small victory? Yeah, well, again, this project went live on planning, so that's good. And the second one, we also launched a very big feature in Sweden, selling the subscription selling in Sweden also went live last Friday. So two nice achievements by our team. So, uh, yeah, happy with that. Wow. 
we will talk definitely more about this one. I think this is more a B2C focused project, but that is also interesting, of course, to see the differences. But maybe, Jauk, can you please explain to the listeners more about your background? So, yeah, where are you coming from? And actually, what is your relation with IT? Yeah, sure. I think I've been active in IT 20 years now, 2021. I started, well, 21 years ago working at ISM, the mother company of SANA. So uh, I'm, uh, let's say, a close friend of the, uh, the SANA family as well. <laughs> I studied informatics and then I started at ISM working there as a developer. So because I have a technical background back in the days with Microsoft technology, which was uh, ASP back then, ASP uh, script language. So we, we already were building very interesting uh, e-commerce uh, solutions. But back in the days, that was uh, you build it for a client and you have a new client. So you just copy it and then you do some customizations and you ship it again. So that, that was the way of working uh, back then. There was no SaaS uh, in that moment yet. It was just always customer work, work, right? Every time, every customer, something new. We had hosting in our own building in the basement. Yeah, very traditional IT uh, happened there. But uh, very interesting times. So from this technical background, I moved from developer position to a developer manager position. So in one, two teams, working with the developers there to to deliver the projects. And I was basically responsible for the technology. And then I think in 2007, well, within ISM, somebody had the great idea to build an B2B e-com platform integrated with an ERP system. And initially that was Navision. So that day or that period. And after that, well, I was still very happy at Sana, but at some point I realized, yeah, 15 years in the same company, maybe it's good to see a bit more of the world and let's start an adventure by starting a freelance career. So I did, and I'm still doing it for now for seven years. Started off at the Rabobank, well, working at a bank, totally different. And it was good to experience it at least. And then I move on to uh, Axe Nobel, which was also a very interesting project because then I was doing a SANA project, but then on the customer side. So using the product I always have built, but now on the customer side, implementing that product and really doing e-commerce projects from the region. We will definitely talk more about that AXA project more on because there are a lot of interesting stuff. And then, and now you're taking, um, yeah, let's say every year or half year, it depends a little bit, I think on the project size, you're taking something new. Absolutely. And I think that's very interesting to see all those different, yeah, different products that you are working with B2B and B2C. So we definitely want to um, hear more from that experience. Yeah, it was great to give you a summary of the, um, a little bit part of the history of Sana and also, um, yeah, how we work together. I think it was a great journey. Back in the days, I also remember the back in the days when, because I started the same mother company that we did her hosting in-house and I actually shared in one of the other podcasts, a small incident that we had one of these uh, very hot days when we turned on the air conditioning in the room and all the servers went down because we took too much power. But if you want to hear that story, you can listen to one of the episodes, I believe about SaaS, how to transition to SaaS uh, software. So if you want to hear that story, you can definitely listen to that episode. And later on, indeed, when we, yeah lead the, uh, the product department and actually yeah, rapidly grow that because I think it was uh, at that period of time we really made Sana big, right? It was from a small set of customers to something really big as it is now. I think that was in the years that we worked together and I look back in a very, very nice way. We always uh, collaborate in a cool way and um, maybe you were a little bit more from the technical side. I'm a little bit more from the product or the commercial side, although I also have my technical background, but that's just how we divided the stuff. And yeah, that was cool and did a lot of traveling together. So yeah, nice to have you in the show. So before we go more in depth, so 
maybe from your perspective, because you have so much knowledge, what are the main differences between B2C and B2B e-commerce projects or from a functional and technical perspective? So now you have the 20 years of experience, a little bit more the overview. How would you explain it? Yeah, well, of course, there are quite some differences, but also a lot of similarities, of course. But I think the key things are, well, of course, the customer needs very different. So you will see also with that different behavior of visitors on your, your web shop. Well, I think it comes down to for B2B, it's, it, well, of course, also for B2C it's important, but for B2B, it's extremely important that you think about your recurring customers. Huh? You do have your fixed set of customers who use your tool or your web shop very frequently in most businesses they use it very frequently even in certain cases like these spare part ordering websites well what's very common there is to have this web shop open entire day so the one who's responsible for purchase just have this shop open all day placing some orders throughout the day looking at our uh, customer specific pricing seeing their invoices downloading i think that's a very key difference in behavior over a b2c because, yeah, you know, a typical B2C customer, well, of course, if you found it through a search engine, enters your site, sees if there's interest in products and make a purchase or not, to make a purchase decision. Of course, this journey is more complicated than that. But, of course, you have also recurring customers there. But I think for B2B, to really think about these journeys of your customers, huh? these recurring customers, how are we helping them? And, therefore, it's very important to really listen to your needs of the customer. What do you want to do on your web shop? Of course, it's about ordering, but it's much more than that. That's, well, I will tell you probably in a minute when we go somewhat deeper on the AXA project. We also have, we had quite some surveys we took there from our customers, which were painters, to understand what they really needed. And, well, of course, ordering is one, but more importantly, they really needed some kind of self-service area because, well, a painter is not really interested. They're not really tech-savvy, not really interested in all the hassle around you want just want to paint you know all the other stuff it's well it's hassle so that's why we well develop some kind of self-service portal where he can do all kind of things that saved him time and so he could focus on the job just to give an example no, exactly that is one of great sana customers is axo indeed eh, that you mentioned and axo nobel is a huge company yeah, definitely. We will spend some time on it. And because you were involved in, I think, yeah, in the B2B e-commerce project, maybe it was already uh, their second uh, generation B2B e-commerce project, but you can share more about that. And this user, but I understand that the use or the need of a platform is really different. And that's also what we're seeing, right? It's uh, for B2C. It is most of the time one-off. Sometimes it's also some recurrent ordering, of course, if you're taking a look at the Amazons or, of course, the grocery shopping. Hey, you do that every week, for example, or, or multiple times. But if you're buying a TV, yeah, you're not doing that every week. So, but yeah, for B2B, it's definitely different, at least also what we see in our data and the use of our platform. Most of the time, a smaller customer base, but much more money involved, a much more amount of orders and also larger orders and much more frequency in there. So yeah, that's nice that you elaborated as well. Just to finalize this topic, so this is more from a functional perspective. So what are the implications, let's say, from a technical perspective, if you have these different user groups? Yeah, well, also that comes down a bit on the business or the domain we talk about, huh? because let's take fashion, for example. Well, there's this very traditional way of B2B selling in fashion industry, which is like seasonal ordering. And what you typically see, so a new collection comes in and they will do this pre-ordering on this new collection. But what's very typical about that is that these orders are huge. So you have, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred order lines. So 
or even bigger indeed. So technically, that gives some challenges, especially if you talk about well, like a solution as Sana with real-time integration in the backend to your EP. Of course, with all the advantages there, but this is something you have to really think through how to be prepared for it. Besides that, you do have your more traditional, I think it's more B2C, but you have the B2B as well, your campaigns. So that's more planned. You know it's coming and still maybe you want to scale up ahead of it. So there are some dynamics which are different. Technical challenges. Yeah. yeah so the large, I think we never talked in this topic or in this podcast about this, or let's say the order volumes or so in B2B, because that is a technical challenge, right? So maybe we can talk a little bit more about that because I think it's a very interesting topic. But we have noticed, of course, with many years of B2B experience that indeed have, yeah, for example, in fashion, but we have also a couple of other industries where it is pretty typical that you have, for example, a huge amount of order lines because they, yeah, with seasonal ordering, for example, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands. And yeah, you have used many different systems as well, but most of the time that is not working out of the box right away, right? So every system has its limits and it's just not designed for that. So also with Sana, I think yeah, even back in the days, how to say we uh, had a lot of brain power that we used to solve this uh, these troubles, right? To see how we can give this to the user because we wanted to solve that for the user. And that the user also do not have to wait for, let's say, uh, a couple of minutes to the order to be calculated. So, yeah, we have actually uh, invented also with Sana, uh, so what we call a large order strategy or mode, uh, so that we can put the store in, let's say, a different mode if we recognize that there is a different kind of order coming in. And it's like you're tuning your, your engine of the car, right? If it's in a comfort mode or a sports uh, mode, it just gives uh, different characteristics to the software. And that's what we have built in. Quite a technical challenge and I think something unique. But what we are doing there is, for example, that we are, um, yeah, even with the real-time integration, we are building that order on the fly, uh, line by line. And in the end, you do not send a huge order to a backend system and do a lot of calculation. Now that happens continuously in doing so, we could yeah, speed up the calculation time a lot. And actually, the user is not really noticing that he's placing uh, such a large order. Of course, you can wait a little bit longer in B2B, like eh, if you're placing an order of 1,000 line, a user is still, you know, if he needs to wait two or three seconds, it's still fine, or 10 maybe to the maximum if you show a nice uh, process uh, indicator or something. But for B2C, of course, that is not the case at all, right? It should be in a split second. And also for regular B2B ordering, you know, if you just have you know 20 lines or something, it should be in a split second or even less. So yeah, that was an interesting journey and uh, and good that you touched upon that. So let's make the jump to AXO. You already mentioned it. You've built a portal or you can say it, maybe portal is still, it's much bigger than that. Maybe it's even a whole world for the users that you're serving. And these are painters, right? So that is a B2B store and yeah, painters, what do they do? They paint houses, you know, projects they have, you name it. So, but first to start with this user group. So by actually serving these professional painters also online, because yeah, they were used, I think, to get this paint in these different, how to say it, centers or the decorated centers or the stores, right? And, you know, like B2B retail outlets. So, yeah, why you also started online? Yeah, well, good question, uh, of course. Yeah, so maybe first start with a small piece of context here to understand that right? because Axe Nobel, well, uh, for those who don't know, that's, they're doing a lot of things, but mainly they have big business units, decorative paint. So, and they have a chemicals department as well, but decorative paint. So for your home deco projects, painting your house, interior, outdoor, all these kind of paints they provide for consumers, for professionals. So that's very broad range of products they have. So probably in the Netherlands, you recognize the Sickens or Flexa, that's all, that's all from them. So of course, there are a lot of decorators out there. That's typically, they're, let's say, somewhat smaller companies. Eh? So these are the company size one to five decorators. 
or brushes as we call them back at Axo. So one to five brushes, that was a company size of one to five painters. There's a huge group of those. And on a typical basis, what they do is they, well, they have a project. So somebody asked them to paint their house. So for that project, they're going to buy their paint. So that's very typical. They don't have their own stock. That's not normally how they work. They just buy the stuff they need for the project they have at hand. Or maybe the one that comes next, but that's about it. So they don't have any, don't want to take any risk on their individual stock. So to get that paint, so let's say tomorrow, Thursday, you have a paint job. So what they typically do, or at the end of the day before, they went to the store and they had, if we talk about this project, it was an EMEA project in Europe, seven countries. We had 500 decorator centers. That's a B2B store physically for a painter to get his professional paint. So on a normal day, he just, when he was finished with the previous job, he went to the store, pick up some uh, paint, or he did it in the morning before he went to his uh, project. And then, yeah was going to do this job. So that's how it's a typical way of working. What we wanted to provide as an online service, because there is an interesting uh, dynamic here, because in this professional space, there are a lot of what we found out during surveys and do some market research was that there was huge group of these decorators were going to retire in the next five to 10 years because of their age. And a new generation was coming in and a generation, well, yeah, like this... Uh, and a generation much more tech-savvy, much more used to online ordering, using their mobile devices, etc., for doing that work. So why we started this project to sell paint online towards decorators was to be prepared for that. That was one of the reasons. A second one was that besides just ordering, getting your paint, uh, like I already mentioned, we wanted to provide them with more self-service possibilities on top of also, let's say, uh, tools, he could use for doing his job for a customer, like at color advice, like a showcase, so he could showcase his projects towards customers. Much more, not really uh, about the primary process ordering, no, much more around his own uh, business. So if you talk about self-service capabilities, and then, of course, you can see your invoices. Uh, that, that's important. But also directly be able to pay that there or multiple invoices at once, or see your credit status. Or one of the things we developed over the years was, I think if we talk about Sama specifically, there's this feature called order templates. Well, we basically twisted that or changed that or extended it to be, let's say you could set up projects. So you had a, like a typical, let's say a living room, you paint, you will need this, this, and this paint. Oh, just You can prepare for a certain type of project. You could set up, let's say, these kind of templates and easily reorder that. So we optimize that flow as well for him. Yeah, so all these kind of things we develop just besides, let's say, an ordering process. Making the life for these painters easier and also uh, being prepared for the new generation that actually expected that, right? So, and yeah, the scope was, I think, also more or less omnichannel, right? So it was a nice combination of the retail centers and the online store maybe we will touch upon that a little bit later but what i want to know as well so how was it involved in this project why was that so important yeah well it started off as a let's say an it project or program better to put it like that and because we had selected the sana commerce as e-com platform and there was a very tight integration with Dynamics AX uh, 2012 uh, we used. And Dynamics AX 2012 was used as an ERP solution for the stores organization, but also as a point of sale in the stores. So, well, the development of AX, well, the initial implementation, but also the continuous development of it, that was like organized as a program. And, well, 
it was pretty well, logic next step to also have this econ project, which is very integrated there, also set up as an IT program. That's how it went down. So yeah, but I think what is very important here, and I think the, one of the things we did very good back then was to have the business involved there from day one. So yeah, that was on decision making on the platform. Which platform do we need? That was also on, so we had these stericos set up yeah, so that we had the right people there making the right decisions. So, but it started off as an IT program, very big initial implementations in the countries, uh, but also at some point we did continuous development with, from this program. Yeah. And at some point you, well, it's never done, of course, but you get to a situation that, okay, we have a mature platform now. Now it's more like the tool for the business to really start uh, accelerating on. And then we handed it over to more the operational IT support teams. Yeah. And that's also nice. Yeah, we will share maybe a little bit more later on. But if we summarize a little bit of tips and tricks, but I think I have heard already one, is that to involve the business huh, right away and be more like a business navigator saying, hey, we have this opportunity and these are the, and the technical solutions to do so and work as one. And let's say as one team to make that happen. And I think you did it in the company there at AXO. They, they did a great job there. So what were the biggest challenges or pitfalls then besides of, hey, you know, I think you prevented one by involving the business, but yeah, some things you have dealt with or what was difficult or... Yeah, indeed. Well, I think tip one is indeed involve, well, not just the business, but all the business units which touch on the this process. And that's, it's not limited to IT, it's not limited to sales or marketing, which are the obvious ones, but also involve a customer support team from day one because they do have a specific take on perspective on things, which really helps the development of your platform and the implementation of it. Same for uh, if you have, a, well, it's a bit depending on the company size, but if you do have a, like a data department, master data department, of course, very important to have them in the loop. Well, catalog managers, uh, you have to be have to involve. And back in the days with Axel, we also had like these stores operations managers. Some more also logistics were involved as well. So if you have everybody on the table and you start with your project, well, at the beginning, some people might feel like, whoa, this is like a tech talk, uh, e-com, that's not for me. Well, why am I here? But it's really important to keep these people in the loop, keep them involved, because at some point they realize, oh, yeah, this is also for me. This is important for me. So, yeah, so I think you really need to invest in that, in the start of e-com projects, especially B2B, because you need, of course, to involve your customers and make sure they get excited and engaged for it. But also, you really need to have the support internally. No, obviously. And I think they made a great decision there to join this group because I think they were, uh, you were right before that. Eh? It was still a very, let's say, traditional way of ordering in the stores and so on, moving to online. But with COVID, I believe they were right on time, right? So, and could benefit from Yeah, that. absolutely. But I think that goes for a lot of <laughs> businesses who could sell online. But yeah, that was a really uh, lifesaver to have this already in place. Yeah, of course, nobody saw it coming, but yeah, you know, to have it already, uh, you can really benefit from it. Hey, and you mentioned, uh, we had a talk before, and you mentioned there that these, uh, yeah, the so uh, still after COVID, the social aspect is still important in the store, right? So there is still, I think they're promoting this blended way of ordering, which is great, obviously. From a technical perspective, right, say, I can imagine that it's quite a challenge to make sure that the yeah, pricing is the same if you order something in the store or online. So how did that work for our AXO from a technical perspective? Yeah, so indeed for, uh, like what I said, like a printer starting his job, doing uh, a paint job, but he picked up his stuff in the morning at a decorator center. But it was also a social activity for him. Right? So uh, just having a coffee, have a talk with some other painters, uh, then be there. Uh, so 
just to have some social interaction. That's very important to everyone. So also, just just talk about football or whatever before you start doing your job. Normally, also doing that alone or with just one or two guys. Well, of course, that's something that remains. So we just were thinking about, okay, how can we connect it to that? If you talk about omnichannel, how can we make sure that we give him a solution which really helps him? Well, of course, the social aspect still remains. Maybe he still comes to store to pick up his stuff. So we really heavily focused also on click and collect as a proposition online. So that it is a real service. So you can already do your product selection, color selection, all the things you, you need to do online. So you have everything prepared. And then, well, you place your order. You just say, I can pick it up tomorrow at seven. That's something we really focused on. We really went deep with that because what's very important for him is if you have a paint job on a Thursday, and you come to store on Thursday morning and your stuff is not there. So well, that's something you really want to avoid. So we really went deep into development of this to manage expectations, so to say, in terms of stock, lead times or delivery, etc. That was a really important aspect. So what we did is, well, we made it transparent about the stock in all the stores. So you could just see and you could plan for yourself what was most useful for you. So if you live in place A and you have a project in place B, maybe it's easier if you go to the store close to place B and pick up the stuff there and then go to your job. So we made it very transparent about stock levels so that you can make the right decisions there and make the right planning. But also we were very clear on lead times, for example. And for example, click on collect, you could specify time slots when you can come in and pick it up. You can send a note with it, so some comments whatsoever. That was a very important step is work yeah and that is i think also obviously also the power or the specialty in sana is with this integration with because most of this information i think almost all of it is in their backend systems in their ax landscape right that they heavily use also the stores are connected with that that is their single source of truth and doing so you also have actually the ability to do it in such a good way because yeah i think you have seen the last 20 years also other projects or we had talked about customers that were having different solutions before where uh, you want to have these kind of things, but it's hard to create if you're doing, for example, synchronization or you're trying to mimic these rules, right, say in system A and B. Now it really needs that. If you want to do this good, I think you need to do that from the system of record performance, single source of truth in the Axio case. This was uh, yeah, the big AX landscape they were having. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, that's indeed a very important part of it as well. So that if you come into store and you're going to speak with the store employee, that you can easily see your, well, complete order history also the orders you placed online that's visible but not just limited to that i think it was a project which was still going on when i left axo but one thing we were also looking into is to have a single sort of truth for well like like crm but also data around it like complaints or a request or whatsoever so if you well i don't know there was an incident online for example uh, order wasn't delivered on, delivered on time or whatsoever so you had a, like a bad experience that it was also visible for a store employee when you come into store, pick up some stuff, that he sees that, oh, and then he could do something extra for that customer, you know? So that's, so it's just not ordering, but all these kind of CRM data is really making it what a, the omnichannel solution will, will work or not. Nice, cool. Hey, and you also mentioned it was a EMEA project, so seven countries. So yeah, they are multinational, obviously. And also you were involved in the international rollout. So what did you do to make this a success in all these countries? Because yeah, you have different cultures, different international teams, any best practices that you can share for our listeners or that want to sell internationally as well, or want to, you know, roll out in different countries as well? Yeah, sure. Well, of course, this is always 
interesting and challenging because I think a lot of people know these, let's say, initial or first <laughs> meetings and talks that you say, oh, look, we have a standard uh, product which can do this and this. And then you have a, a local team. Oh, but our processes are totally different and we work like than that. So, well, in our country, it goes really different. <laughs> we have very different needs here. So we have developed because we did a rollout in seven countries. So each rollout, we were improving our game, you know, how to approach it. So we developed like these run books, we developed our templates, and also we developed our process around it. So one thing we did, which really worked well, was we started always with a fit gap analysis. So the starting point was the standard e-com platform we had. With that, we had a, like these big list of features, processes specified, and then processes of it. So we took two days, we went to the country to, well, to go over this fit gap analysis. So just per topic, we were going over it. How does it work for you? What do you need? Well, like uh, payment. Okay. Online payment. So, okay. What's typical payment methods in your country? Do you have any special needs? Uh, well, what do we have standard? And then, well, of course, identify the gaps. That was the goal of it. So we saw what was needed to have developed on the platform. That could be an outcome. And also what we tried to do as much as we could, we tried to standardize the process as much as we could. Yeah, that's a great tip, I think. Yeah. So sometimes there was some tension there, but I think it was always good to challenge each other on seeing if they could change a bit of their process into a more standard way of working or that we really needed to build a change in the platform. So now that's a great tip. So to pause here for a sec, I think had to most of the time everybody starts with say, yeah, but we are totally different or our country is totally different or our business is running here locally in a totally different way. But if you're looking into the details or you're helping them saying, hey, these are the possibilities and there's also hey, if the tool is supplying some flexibility, I think there is for a big percentage, I think there's always a way out to, to make it fit, right? And that's actually also how we are um, now successful in moving customers to the SaaS platform because they also need to make sure that it fits on the software that is provided and the extensibility that is uh, out of the box available. Same story applies actually for companies that are moving to ERPs that are running in the cloud or as a SaaS solution. You go through that journey, right? And uh, I think the world is changing there definitely, but you were already starting back in the days to because you had such a big skill to do it in such a way. So I think that that already proves that that is a good way to do so, right? So start a conversation, be there really with that team, listen to the story, but on the other end, also have your list prepared with your processes and things. And you're the matchmaker, right? So you say, hey, this can be done here and here. Oh, okay. Now then in the end, it turns out that it is feasible. So I think you also mentioned that something to, you need also to think about scalability from an organization perspective. So I think, yeah, you also appointed, let's say different ownership in the teams, right? Or in the different, countries right so how did it work out so was it like local product owners or let's say local store managers yeah so well eventually if you have done your initial implementation so let's say you have an international organization you have a rollout done in a few countries at some point you are organized like you have these local teams and you have like this central program or central it responsible for this econ platform well you have to develop uh, certain capabilities and for each capability you have to decide is that a local thing, a local capability, or is it something that will be supported from the, the central team? And that goes for a lot of, let's say, topics. But what we did back at AXO, what really worked well was we had two persons per country, so per local team, two go-to persons. So one was a local product owner. Basically, that was the go-to person for everyone in the country for the e-com or for the webshop. 
well, if there was a need from customer support or a lot of complaints from customer support, or there was a need from logistics or from sales and marketing, they wanted to develop new stuff or whatsoever, or they got all kinds of calls that there was there were issues. That was the local person, and that local product owner was responsible for prioritizing these local issues and wishes. And we had a process, so every week, then these local product owners from the countries came together with the central product owner. And then they, of course, did this prioritization game. Okay, what do we have to develop in the platform? That worked pretty well. A second person every country appointed was a local key user. So that was more the operational person. From the help desk, he got a lot of questions to see, okay, oh, also, it is just not answer them as good as you can, but also look for optimization of it. So uh, see if... Well, of course, it's about knowledge building, knowledge sharing. So, uh, oh, this error occurs, then you have to do this and this, huh? this, this, this troubleshooting or RAQ type of thing. So that's typically starts with, oh, I get two or three times the same question. Let's uh, write it down, make some documentation, and then share that with the other country. Uh, so build a big library of, well, an FAQ library, which is really helpful. Sharing best practices, right? So yeah, let's pause here. And I think that's another tip, right? So that if you're working on such a skill, uh, coming and making some hierarchy, or let's say making some say, hey, this is a local product owner, and he's reporting to, let's say, a global group, but doing so not only about, let's say, feature voting or something, but also sharing best practices so that each other can learn from it, right? I think that made it really nice. I think one thing to mention there as well is, well, of course, it sounds like, oh, you need a huge team or server. If you're for a smaller company, these are roles. Huh? You can have one person having all these roles. Oh, definitely. No, definitely. No, thanks. And last point on this. So yeah, for the uh, the platform on technical, how to support all those internationalizations. So yeah, that can also be quite a challenge, right? So uh, a comparison of different e-commerce vendors out there. Yeah, because you have local tax ruling, uh, local payment solutions, uh, shipping rules, you name it. Yeah, how was that for AXA? Yeah, well, I think what you can do to approach this in a good way is, of course, think ahead. So think, what's your e-com strategy? So is it very likely that in the next, uh, let's say, three years, you're going to extend to other countries or other parts of the world where you have totally different tax regulations or, I don't know, uh, payment methods or whatever so because then you can already make decisions on okay what payment service provider to hook on or what add-on to use or that's because well just looking ahead that really helps you down the line of course but that's obvious one sometimes you just don't know or a new acquisition happens or whatsoever that can always happen now to choose vendors indeed that can support let's say the internationalization Indeed, of payment that you not support or very, uh, take maybe a very local one, but maybe take one that can support multiple countries. I understand. Yeah, that's a great tip. And I think the same applies, let's say, for a platform or e-commerce platform that can do as well, right? Yeah. And with Sana also, we have a very different approach. We are taking actually all that logic, which is already in the backend systems. So you do not have to replicate that or create it or configure it for all those countries. And uh, yeah, not only with AXA, but other companies, our, our customers of us are really benefiting and actually make these rollouts quite feasible, right? So that you have already your local tags and so on because it's in the backend system. Absolutely. And I think another part of it is also I have to reevaluate your hosting situation frequently. There are, well, you have your daily operation. And of course, each additional shop you will add on your platform, you have to see performance-wise, everything is still okay and stable. And another challenge, well, I have that current assignment, but also back at Axo. Let's say... Uh, you have seven countries live on one platform and there are three or four countries running a promotion in the same period. You have to think that through. You really have to prepare that or, well, 
the most simple thing, if you're just not ready hosting-wise, then you have to make some simple agreements. Okay, you cannot just plan that in the same period, you know. Another issue we saw is like sending out newsletters in one batch or all at the same moment. Uh, you have these typical moments like like Friday coming up, whatever. Everybody sends out the newsletters in the same period. Yeah, of course, then you get a lot of traffic in the same window you have to deal with. Well, it depends on your situation. If you're really on the cloud situation where you have some auto-scaling or you're prepared for it, then of course it's fine, but you really have to think it through because these are easily forgotten. And then, oh, somebody in the UK launched a promotion in France as well, and they didn't talk. There you go. You have an issue. Yeah, of course. No, a good point. And also, there is also multiple tastes of SaaS solutions out there, which we know from customers also. Yeah, with SANA now and fully in the cloud. And also, we have now auto scaling capabilities and um, with all monitoring, it goes automatically. But then still, indeed, hey, it stacks up. So if you have multiple, let's say, uh, regions doing promotion at the same time, I can even imagine or I've seen, let's say, other even also SaaS vendors that are in the cloud that at some point in time that needs to be prepared for and otherwise it breaks, right? So it needs to be prepared for if it's auto scaling or not but it needs to be tested or it needs to be um, designed for that. And that's not always the case. So definitely uh, planning or talking about that with your vendor. And also if you're really large like Axo is, yeah, then definitely you can um, better plan things or time things and make sure that you do your technical preparations. Then if these rules come together, you have a good journey and a good, let's say, stability of the platform indeed. Yes, but you can also, uh, one more comment. So you can also start with, very simple agreements. Huh? Just if you send a newsletter and you have, uh, let's say, 200,000 subscribers, just send it out in four batches. You know? Just make it uh, simple agreements is also fine to start. Perfect. Yeah, cool. That's definitely something good to understand. Hey, so a couple of more questions because, uh, yeah, time is always flying, but we have still some nice topics to touch. So, uh, yeah, we recently commissioned Sepio Research to do a survey amongst 1,000 IT leaders all over the world to get an opinion around B2B e-commerce uh, software in general. And we have compiled this survey into a IT and B2B e-commerce tech report. And yeah, the first team is around cost and risk. And we have launched it already in the beginning of July. But from the survey, it was quite a journey to make the report, but from the survey, we know that only a third of IT leaders felt the adoption of the platform exceeded their expectations. So the majority was still having adoption problems. So yeah, how was that with AXO? How was the adoption going on? Hey, you were in the transition of the new generations, etc. There were still online and offline. So I can imagine that there were some challenges there, but what did you do in terms of maybe features or just things, promotions? What did you do to make it happen? Yeah, well, I think that's there are two sides of it. So one, of course, your customer base, who you're targeting with your solution. Well, you have to develop an incentive for them to start using this tool. Either it be, well, they're really serviced with it, so it saves them time, or you do have some initial promotions uh, to, to promote your tool so that they get familiar with it and then uh, to, to figure out it's there. So I think these are the, the typical things to do. And one tip there is obviously you're gonna, at some point, you have your solution there, it's live, and you're gonna send out an initial mail shots or, or email or communication. To make them aware it's there, of course, you can then add a very simple first order promotion to it to let them at least experience it. So but these are the, just the simple basics, of course. But the other part of it is also your internal adoption. Because you could, if you do it wrong, like this business involvement, if you don't do that in a good way in early, early stages of the project, you might get into situations that people are really starting to push off from it. Huh? And they really might even feel threatened by it. So we saw that in a couple of cases when, especially like sales reps, you know, these kind of people are like, okay, normally 
they go out to the customers, talk to the customers. Hey, they now got an, an online variant of basically the work they do. Ooh, that's not okay. You know, so it's very important to have them on board and that they start seeing it as a tool or something they can use to make their life easier. So they don't have to do their order entry themselves anymore, but the customers typing it in. You know, you really have to make sure that they are on board uh, to make sure you have a good adoption with these kind of employees as well. Yeah, so both externally and internally, um, yeah, do the promotion in a good way. And uh, yeah, start with something easy that's uh, still, yeah, sounds so obvious, but it's very powerful. So what we see in the data, just to do uh, indeed mail shots or communication, social and do online order promotions to stimulate people to come to the platform, obviously, but also for reordering. Uh, indeed, I think what you talked before during this podcast about, yeah, bringing a lot of functionality to make the life of the painters easier so that it's like a warm bath, you know, they, they can they reorder easily. They have these templates. We are just supplying a lot of nice things to yeah, continuously build on that relationship because that's what you want to have, right, with B2B is the recurring ordering. It's not only about the one-shot orders only, like we typically see more on B2C. And also uh, personalization is very important there because one nice thing we developed with AXO is that, so, well, again, on the social aspect of things, so typically uh, one painter always comes to the same store. So he knows who's behind the counter, you know, so he knows who's there. So we try to take that experience also online so that if you go to your my account section where you saw your everybody had a store preference linked so you also saw the contact details of the store employee so we saw let's say mike behind the counter you also saw his face online where you could send him a direct message or these kind of things to really personalize it so that makes it a really true omnichannel experience Exactly. And that's actually, yeah, it sounds like something really difficult to achieve in a tool like Sana nowadays, especially in SC, Sana Commerce Cloud is pretty easy to configure because we have the data from the customer and from the EP most of the time there is a sales person attached to it. And we can, uh, with the visual designer now as our low-code, no-code platform to make nice front ends. You can create, for example, a content element where you connect a picture or contact details or any piece of content to some data from the ERP, for example, that sales rep. So there you can make the connection between some data or logic or connection for system of record, in this case, a customer and a sales rep, and show a nice piece of content. And actually, yeah, creating that personalized experience. And uh, yeah, we know that it is beneficial for giving that same vibe on an online channel. Yeah, cool tip. Last question. I know that we are running out of time, but there is a nice other part in the report is that IT managers expect to spend on average 37% of their budget on the integration of new software with their existing IT landscape, which means that if they're purchasing something new, 37% of that budget goes in just only the integration of it in the existing IT landscape. And I think that is still, that was also, let's say back in the days, at least that I remember when we started inventing Sana, it was also more or less the case, right? Always we saw that we, every time we made these projects, you know, we need to spend so much time in integration. That's also the reason why we started actually Sana or one of the reasons why we started Sana to limit that. But yeah, now you as an independent consultant or product owner, are you seeing the same kind of things happening at companies? So when you are, hey, you're often involved in purchasing or e-commerce platforms or related tooling around it. Yeah. What is your take on that? This number does not surprise me actually, because yeah, I also see this happening every time again. Integration between systems is always hard and always a lot of money is lost there. And I'm saying loss explicitly because I think it can be prevented or of course, you sometimes need to build an interface. That's for sure. But if you use some good best practices there, you can really improve that. And 
Because typically what's going on is that you have to talk about two parties. So one party is responsible for system one, another party is responsible for system two. And well, because of that, there are interpretation differences. That's often where it goes wrong, you know? So I always say if you're specifying an interface or so you're going to build an interface, you cannot be explicit enough in your interface specification. Even if it's very obvious this thing is a string or is a date, specify this is a date field or this is a string field instead of leaving that to the interpretation of the other side. And this goes wrong all the time. So it starts with making a very good explicit interface specification so that both sides understand how it should be. And then, of course, you can use all the standards out there these days to, uh, to make that smooth. And then, of course, you need to not just test your happy flow, but also think about all the error handling or, oh, if you have like more transactions, so we have, I don't know, a few calls being made and then call number two fails. So what happens with the data on the other side? You know, will it be persistent or not? Or think about also these kind of use cases. If you do that before you are building the interface and include that in your specification, that really will save you a lot of money. No, true. And that's already still if you need to build it. So, and I think the one part is that, and because that's obviously when systems are not, if you still need to make these integrations or glue them together. But with SANA, obviously we took a different route that we bring this integration out of the box and we go even two, three, four, maybe 20 steps further than other tools in that sense that we also make it more configurable. Let's say that it's not always a developer needed. So if you want to map a field and it's a little bit different, you know, we all have these things that you are maybe misusing a system and saying, hey, this field is... Maybe not the address two field, but we are using it for something else. Yeah, we have seen these things in practice and we have optimized that tool that you do not need developers for that, but you can do that with configuration. And we are still heavily invested in this and we have great future plans for this as well because I believe there is a duty for software vendors like Xana and now especially in this cloud world and the SaaS world where we're going to. It's not only about supplying APIs. That's nice. This anyway must have. But it's also about, you know, working together as vendors and making sure that you actually build functionality around it that's not always need developer work to glue these systems over and over again to each other right how beautiful would be the world if you can just do it as a maybe it persona or even an e-commerce manager that if you want to make a small change or maybe even the future big changes that you can just do that by configuration and not always gluing or coding these systems together right so that's that's a little bit the dream we are pursuing but great that will take some time obviously and with sana we are a little bit further but if you're integrating with other systems that these tips are definitely worth uh, checking out as well, right? Making your specifications really, really clear. I think also bring these different vendors always in one room, never speak to them independently. And the third one that you mentioned as well, that you uh, tested in all the, not only the happy flows, but also everything around it and also on scale, for example, right? So that's uh, what will happen if you do thousand order lines, what will happen if something went wrong? Yeah, Jauke, it was great talking to you. To summarize a little bit, you shared so many tips. For the listeners, I think that is great. First one, what I have heard is that you involve stakeholders from the beginning and all stakeholders. If you're doing a B2B e-commerce project and if you're doing it as an IT leader, you should be a business navigator and not just saying, hey, I'm the issue fixer or something. You take the lead, involve everybody and bring the solution to a good end. We talked about adoption of the platform, how you can have tips and tricks there. We talked about how it actually was with running such a large-scale B2B e-commerce solution as AXO and all the uh, technical challenges that were there. Yeah, in the last part, we also talked more about the integration. So, yeah, it was great to have you here in the show, Jauke. Thanks. 